0: Welcome to Peace Lab, the podcast focused on current events, faith, and peacemaking from a Mennonite perspective. I am one of your co-hosts, Jason Boone of the Peace and Justice Support Network. The other great co-host of Peace Lab, Melissa Floor Bixler, is not with us this week, but I am here and ready to have a great conversation. At Peace Lab, we love to have conversations about peacemaking, and some of those are timeless, but then we're, we're also lucky when we have conversations that are very much address contemporary issues and things going on in the news. And We are really sort of uh, on the the pulse today, talking about the the situation on the Korean Peninsula with North and South Korea, and we really got a special guest today, uh, our friend Joy Yoon, and she is with the Ignis Community. She's going to tell us about that a little bit about a nonprofit, but she has been working on the Peninsula for uh, over 10 years. She's joining us today to give us a little overview of where we are with that situation, but then really to dive in more about uh, what's life on the ground like, uh, especially in North Korea, uh, and, and where is that reconciliation um, that we're all hoping for? Where is it already happening, and, and uh, what are some good things going on that maybe we don't get reported about in the press? So without any further ado, I want to welcome Joy to the podcast. Joy, thanks for taking time to talk with me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: And uh, let's just get right in here, and maybe the, the first thing we could do is, is tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, What got you to where you are, about the Ignis community, and whatever you want to tell us sort of to to set the stage for our conversation?
1: Yeah, my husband and I have, as stated, (laughs) I've been working in North Korea for about 10 years, over 10 years now. And it all just started actually when we were young, and we felt uh, the Father calling us to go and work overseas. And for me, that was particularly in North Korea. And eventually, as the whole family got on board, we moved to China and Northeast Asia in 2007. And we've been working, doing nonprofit work inside North Korea ever
0: since. And the name of your, your nonprofit and, and the scope and the focus of what it does, can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's called Ignis Community. And we focus on humanitarian outreach. My husband and I, particularly in the medical area working with children who have developmental disabilities, providing treatment and therapy for them. And we also provide um, other humanitarian assistance, such as uh, food, clothing, and shoes, and disaster relief.
0: Well, it sounds like a a fantastic work and that there's a lot to be done in that regard. And I'm wondering if we could tap into your your insight to help me and help our listeners, too, maybe understand a little bit more about what life is like in North Korea. There are a lot of misconceptions about it. We we only get things through the press. I'm wondering, even before we do that, because we're talking here in early May, uh, but the situation is so fluid and it's changed so much. Could you just sort of get us up to speed on on where we are, the geopolitical back and forth and whatnot, just a a brief overview to catch us all up on uh, and maybe start a little bit back, like from the beginning of the year till now, like where have we come and where are we?
1: You're right. The situation on the Korean Peninsula is changing so drastically. At the beginning of the year, there were a lot of uh, nuclear threats. We were afraid that possibly another war or possibly World War III would <laughs> come about. Uh, but thankfully, recently at the end of April, the North Korean and South Korean presidents met for the first time in many years. And it was the first time that a North Korean president ever stepped foot on South Korean soil because they met right there at the border. And so since then, they've agreed to work towards a peace signing treaty. The Korean War has never officially ended. It was only a cease of arms. And so uh, now they've agreed to involve both China and the U.S. to work towards signing a declaration to the end of the Korean War.
0: Right, and and we're talking, and that's that's where we find ourselves now. But there's still so much work to be done. Like things look less bleak, I suppose. But we know that peacemaking is a long process. And so we're having this conversation, especially for us in the Mennonite world. We're looking towards May 20th as a day of prayer uh, for asking all our churches to be in prayer for this peace process to continue and to blossom. It'd be really helpful for us to to know kind of, I guess, what the stakes are. Because, we again, we see these uh, geopolitical conflicts from across, across the globe, and we don't always get all the, the information. And we have our own misconceptions about what life is like in other parts of the country. Some people look at uh, the United States and say, oh, you know, the United States is it's very violent, depending on what they mm-hmm. see in the news. And they, they'll, they'll take that information and sort of, that's the lens they see it through. So I don't know, could, could you help us understand from your perspective and your time, What is life like in North Korea? How are people responding to living in this sort of permanent war zone in a way and then also everything that comes with that?
1: Yes, thank you Jason for making that example of how many people may see America as being violent because indeed the news is full of violence. And the same thing is true for North Korea. The media portrays North Korea in a very different light than what it's like to live there. Living there is actually very peaceful. It is one of the most peaceful nations you could live in. And it's a very controlled society, as we know. And so there's not a lot of danger. There's no crime. The foreigners who visit there are very well taken care of, protected. Now, of course, if we cross the boundary and we do something against their own laws, whether we agree with those laws or not, we, we will have to suffer the consequences. However, if we're respectful of their culture, and respectful of their system, and we could live extremely peacefully in the country. Uh, so it's very ironic what the media portrays North Korea to be. We think it's a dangerous nation, but actually our family has been living there for 10 years, and we call it home.
0: Right, and, and home means a lot of things, I and mean, we all know the good things about, uh, about home and what that represents. And so when you think about your life and the time you spent in North Korea, what, what are just some of the memories or, or images or, or interactions you've had that have really made it home for you?
1: For us, I think it's really the people. The people's hearts are so generous and so genuine. They're not polluted so much by what I would say the outside world is polluted with pop culture, materialism, all those alternative things that we seek after, where in, in North Korea, because it's a socialist system, they're not driven so much by materialistic things. And so they really have a genuine heart, and they really want to host uh, visitors. And we've seen how they've been generous to us, to just the small gifts and small uh, signs of appreciation they've given to us.
0: And I'm, I'm wondering... Two, uh, living in that tension, you said, you know, the Korean War has never officially ended and, and we know that the, well, we do know that there are tension between the nations and whatnot. What does that look like? How does that, or does that affect day-to-day life? When we see the headlines here about tensions rising, uh, you know, we go on a, a certain scale of alert, I suppose. Um, but if you're actually there and on the peninsula, uh, what, what's that like to, to see these headlines fluctuate and, and the talk of war? Does that affect day-to-day life there?
1: Yes and no. There have been threats of war over the past uh, 60 some years. So it's a constant roller coaster up and down. But I think what really affects daily life at this point are the sanctions and uh, how that's affecting the common people, uh, their economic status, their ability to just be able to drive across town because there may not be enough gas and the gas prices are too high And so those things affect daily life, whereas uh, unless it's a real threat, several years ago, South Korea and North Korea were threatening to attack each other, that tension we really felt. But as far as the U.S. and North Korea, that tension is not felt so much on the daily life level.
0: Are there other uh, misconceptions about North Korea, either about the people or or the society or the way they live, that you think it'd be good for our listeners to know, for maybe for you to dispel or shed some light on?
1: Yes. Uh, In fact, even myself, you know, before we went to North Korea, I had the same typical view as probably an average American. And most of the guests that we bring into North Korea, all they know is what they hear on the outside. Well, once you visit, it's a completely different picture. Uh, Most of the people who've come to visit us say, this is nothing like what I imagined it to be. We have one conception based on what the media tells us, but once we go inside, we realize this place is not as evil as what we're told it is. There's two sides to a coin.
0: Yeah, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about uh, about that other side, maybe that we don't hear about. And, and we're talking about a peace process that, that we're hoping comes to fruition. We also know too, you know, that, that God's already at work uh, with with reconciliation in all parts. And if you're going to have peace between. Between countries. That's not just a document that's signed. It has to be between between people. I guess one question I have is, is there a tension between sort of, for lack of a better word, regular North Korean citizens and South Korean citizens, like where you would say, you know what, there's a there's an animus between the peoples, or is it just more a, a, almost a creation of, of government and politics that's more real than anything that, that might be between people?
1: That's an excellent question. In fact, uh, North Koreans view South Koreans as their brothers and sisters. Uh, North Korea has a stronger desire to reconcile with South Korea and unify with South Korea than South Korea does with the North. And so, no, they do not view South Koreans as their enemies. They view them as their brothers and sisters. They welcome Korean expats, Koreans who have um, citizenship in other nations to come to their nation. Uh, They're very happy to host them. And so, actually, it is very much a political issue.
0: That can be the, the biggest bridge to, to durable peace anyway. you know, If it's there sort of on the ground with people, then you can build on that. But if it's not, it's, it's sort of hard to reverse engineer that. So yeah, I, I'm wondering if you could share with us you know, from your work there and, and with your nonprofit, you know, what, where have you seen God move on the peninsula there in, in your work and what you've seen? Are there some stories that you've witnessed or been a part of that really given you hope to continue this work for the time that you've done it?
1: Yeah, there are so many stories that I, I don't have time to share with you today. I would like to just share with you on a more personal level to give kind of a personal face uh, to North Koreans. One of the things that we've realized living there is a lot of their actions are just out of feeling victimized and feeling traumatized. And a lot of this comes from the Korean War. Their second most bombed nation in the entire world, if you can believe it or not. They're only second to Cambodia, which is the first. And so uh, they have a lot of trauma from the Korean War that I don't think America or even South Korea fully understands. And so one of the things that I've been able to understand once um, doing that is that uh, in order for reconciliation to happen, forgiveness first needs to happen. We need to understand each other. We need to come to a way to be able to forgive one another. And move on. I just felt like my husband and I, since my husband is Korean ethnically and I'm American, white American, that we, our relationship is a model of reconciliation to them. And so I've had opportunities through letters, through word and relationships to just express my desire to apologize to them on behalf of the trauma that they've experienced in the Korean War and to ask for them to be willing to forgive me as an American citizen and move towards a path of reconciliation.
0: I know I personally did not. I mean, it might be a shock to some of our listeners too. So, you, so Korea was the second most bombed nation in, in the world.
1: Yeah. North Korea, particularly not South Korea.
0: Right. As far as peacemaking goes in the Mennonite world, we're starting to become more aware and more informed of trauma and, and how that leads. If you can't break that cycle, it does end up in violence. And so what you say uh, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering if you have uh, thoughts on, on what this road ahead might look like in terms of, of reconciliation or, or how, especially for us, uh, as, as we look to pray on, on May the 20th, what should we, should we be praying for in, in general ways or specific ways to encourage this peace process?
1: Yeah, to pray for reconciliation, I, I feel like it needs to come to where all three or four nations involved need to understand that we are different. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. We need to understand each other's differences and how to work through those differences, whether that be from South Korea and North Korea, their cultural differences now, or the U.S. and North Korea's political and uh, ideological differences, and how to work through that while also respecting one another and working Mm -hmm. towards peace.
0: This has been really good, Joy. I just I admire your communication skills. They're really great answers. But anything else that we didn't touch on, maybe that, that you'd like to dig into a little bit more?
1: Yeah. Since this is a a Christian uh, podcast, I just like to emphasize that people are praying around the world, and that God is answering our prayers. Those prayers are not just coming from the U.S. and North America, or just South Korea. The people in Europe, especially Sweden and Germany and Finland, people in South America even, Brazil and Mexico, uh, this has become a universal church movement praying for reconciliation on the Korean Peninsula. And I believe that God is answering our prayers. And so we can look at things politically, but I hope that we also look at things through our spiritual eyes and really look to God and see that, God, you are working that um you're going to make this happen it's nothing that we're going
0: to do i don't think you could say it any better than that i I, on behalf of uh of our listeners and myself too thank you joy for giving us a different perspective on so many things Uh, and as we go forward and and we will follow the headlines but but especially as we try to to be more stalwart in our prayers and and as we look as a church to have a special sunday of prayer to to hold up this peace process uh, you've really given us a a lot of encouragement and a lot to think about so uh Thanks for the work you've done over there so many years. And uh, thanks for spending time with us on Peace Lab. Well, thank you. It's been great being with you. Thanks for listening to Peace Lab. Uh, we're a production of the Peace and Justice Support Network and the Mennonite Inc. magazine and website. Uh, you can find our episodes online at iTunes, Fireside, almost any place you can get a podcast. You can listen to Peace Lab. Check out our archives. we get got a lot of great uh, interviews there as well. So, Until next time, I'm Jason Boone signing off. Thanks.